Daniel, and this is our podcast where we magically <laughs> disappoint our parents. <laughs> okay, so we're back at our rotating host for the year 2020. Thank you, Daniel, for being here. Of course, of course, I'm here. <laughs> Messing things up, but... I love it. So um, today we have a special guest, and I want to talk about why this episode is important for this new year and new decade, um, being it even in February. And, you know, I think that we don't talk a lot about transitional, like, living and life and, like, in terms of career and Mm -hmm. personalities and all this stuff. So I invited my very good friend, Markar. What's up? Hey! Hello! (laughs) Um, We know each other through um, women's networking groups, um, but I was really drawn to how genuine uh, Markar is in her own movement for her own life. So, um, can you tell us? Oh, yeah. So, Markar. Um, So, one thing that I love about, like, Ruha Bodies is that that uh, people are, are brought together to just, you know, just to discuss. And, like, I just still find, like, the magic in that. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you agree to come to to the show? Well, um, I agreed to come to the show for a couple of reasons. First, it's because I believe in what all the co-hosts are accomplishing through this podcast. I appreciate the different topics that you addressed thus far to the Filipino Filipina ex-community. Mm-hmm. Second, I'm attempting to achieve some goals that can be daunting, not only for myself, but for queer and women of color here in Vegas. So, how I was exposed to the show, mm-hmm. was, as Jean mentioned earlier, was that over the summer of last year, uh, I was in the process of networking with more women in Las Vegas and the Anderson area. And uh, the same week that I met Jean, I had been attending two network events. Mm-hmm. Um, one was in Vegas, and then the second one it was in Henderson. And it was funny because the, it was on, it was the meet networking event was through a meetup group. And I thought it was at the wrong meetup group <laughs> because the host of that meetup group wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so that's what <laughs> threw me off. And so I'm outside the Wells Fargo Center, the business center, <laughs> and I see this red car, this Honda Civic, with a Guam sticker. <laughs> Classically me! And I just thought it was a great icebreaker because my one of my good friends happens to be from Guam, and she's also Filipina. And that's and so we had um, the networking event was for women in Nevada, and mm-hmm. we just hit it off pretty well. I mean, and just um, I was touched by what you had shared, even in the short time that we had just got to know each other. And it's re- it's really mutual, uh, Mara Kara, because like you came in there, and you know you do tell, and which you will share on the show about your background being from. Um, from hailing from New York before this coming here. Um, but I was just so intrigued that you as a Filipino took ownership of how much you loved music and how that was going to lead you to another career path. So, um, but, let, you know, let's dial back from the Markar that you have shown me in the past few months. And um, what is your upbringing as a queer Filipina that grew up in a military family? Because we've glossed over that in the casual conversation. Um so can you share about that? Sure. 
Well, I was born in the Philippines and left as a baby. So my mm. memories of that time is is few. Mm. It's because again, my dad was stationed in the U.S. Navy. Um, compared to other families, we didn't relocate as much. However, I still felt like I had nomadic, a nomadic lifestyle, mm. which made it difficult for me to forge strong friendships as a child because we would be uprooting every, what felt like every two years at the yeah. time, early on. But as, so Japan and Hawaii are the two places I consider home yeah. since I was raised between the two. These places shaped me into the individual I am today. Um, I'm the oldest of four siblings, and my parents had high expectations for me. Mm. But at the same time, I was also highly motivated. Um, when, there, when we were in Japan, the five years that I spent there, I experienced two significant events. Okay. How old were you in this time? Um, it would have been around... Like I would remember as far back as five, so we were there for five years. So um, I would say maybe nineteen late nineteen seventies. Okay, okay. Early nineteen eighties. Um, quick question too. Um, do you remember or do you know where in the Philippines mm. um, your family was from before you moved? Yes, um, my both my dad and my mom are uh, from the Bicol region. Okay. So like the provinces then? Yes. Okay. Wow. Yes. So going from like province to like metropolis. In Japan. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I Great mean, eye. we were not that far from, um, we weren't in, in, in Japan, we were in Yokohama. So Yokohama was not far from Tokyo. Hmm. So at the age of five, when I was going to kindergarten, mm -hmm. I had my first girl crush in the Filipino. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started to realize that I was different. And despite my crush, I played more with the boys. Um, obviously, I was considered a tomboy who later identifies as a drogogist. Mm. The second major event that I was exposed to was the innovation of Japan's technology. And one particular company that amazed me was Sony. Mm. Uh, they had invented some of the coolest things that we used back then. And Japan also impressed me with its pursuit of excellence and their efficiency. And so, just to give you an idea, when I was like in school, mm -hmm. I loved mechanical pencils. I hated number two pencils because you had to sharpen them. And then, of course, you know, the lead breaks. Mm -hmm. And then just didn't have to worry, oh yeah, the lead breaks with mechanical, but that you don't have to go back to sharpen the pencil. So, and then their pencil cases were so cool. In Japan? Yes. <laughs> stationery is, yes, stationery of and office supplies are the shit. Right. Like right now I have like Japanese pen. <laughs> <laughs> See? See? <laughs> we're sold. Uh, yeah, you're right about that. They really innovate like all the little cute nuances yeah. and like the nice click and all the compartments yeah. in the pencil. And it's like smooth writing, yeah. everything. Yeah. Gosh, I never even think about how that technology seems minute to us yeah. here in America, but very aesthetic. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And functional too. Yeah, and, and functional. functional. And pocket size. And... I just love it. I mean, for my own birthday, I was like, can I get a pencil case of. <laughs> <laughs> mechanical pencils and my parents thought I was crazy but it was it's 
beautiful. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about like being in the military and then just this burgeoning of your queerness. Like, how do you even, how, I mean, like, how do you even manage or how do they manage you? Or And also on top of like, on top of that, like the moving to a different from one culture to another yeah. to another. Right. I think that's with my dad being in the military, I just learned how to adapt. Uh, it just, um, I mean, after Japan, we moved to Hawaii, and I was in the first and second grade at the time. And um, we lived on two islands, one, the big island, which is a much more of a slower pace, and then Oahu. But um, what I loved about Hawaii, I loved their diversity. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, after leaving Hawaii, I couldn't understand why it was so hard to, in other areas where, I mean, and, uh, to be diverse or to, to appreciate diversity. And then another thing that, that I loved about Hawaii was uh, its aloha and ahana spirit and sustainability. So, um, anyways, I, between the two places, um, you know, when I was reaching high school, mm-hmm. um, my dad had thought about going back to the Philippines. You're, yes. Did he retire from the military? He, he did retire from the military, but it was during my, my senior year when, oh, okay. yeah. Wow, that's he, kind of another drastic jump again. Yeah, it, it, it is because, um, yeah, I mean, and then all of a sudden when we were in the middle of getting our blood tests done and just getting ready to go to the Philippines, my dad decided to come to Vegas one weekend and he bought a home. Whoa, wow. <laughs> we are not playing. <laughs> he came back and he said, we are moving to Vegas. And we so rush and thought, okay. <laughs> and uh, I think he decided on that and against his own wishes because everybody else wanted to stay in the States. Oh. Yeah. And so this was kind of his like middle ground. Like, okay, well, I get to choose where we live in the States. Right. Well, it was actually between there or um, Washington State. Mm, okay. And then because he just saw the opportunities here at the time and in, in the early 90s. Um, and then he saw, I mean, he locked in a home. Um, I guess the, the financial condi- the conditions were favorable. And so, yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> I was just reading something about this because I'm doing a little bit of research for the Asian Commission in Nevada by volunteer work. Um, but there is a part in it that says Filipinos from California, Chicago, and Hawaii um, that were retirees could afford a down payment on a house immediately. Wow. So that was part of every 10 years, so 1999 to 2000, from 2000 to 2010, there has been a, a huge boom of our home ownership as Filipinos. So that's definitely testimonial to that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to this um, sustainability part of Hawaii. Could you explain that to me any, a little bit more? They, it was more about their desire to, especially the Hawaiian culture the true Hawaiians, um, that wanted to preserve the, their surroundings. Why, why is oh. Hawaii so beautiful? Because they honor their culture and their history, mm-hmm. and they, they want to have 
this beautiful paradise for generations to come. And so, I mean, I, I just, I, I just, I, I'm, I love nature, but I mean, obviously, uh, it's, I mean, with the, the lush, especially living in the Big Island. I mean, I, I've never seen a place like it. I mean, it's so diverse in its background itself. I mean, you have Mauna Kea, you could where there's snow up mm-hmm. there. Then you have black the black sand beach corner area. Um, and f- when we were living in the Big Island, we actually lived in a military camp near the Kilauea volcano. Oh. So, uh, yeah, it was smack dab in the middle of the island. And my school was, I had to catch the bus. If I didn't catch that bus, I it was like 30 minutes out. You're done. I'm done. <laughs> in fact, I remember one specific time where when the Kilauea volcano was starting to erupt again. Oh, my gosh. Um, Whoa. I missed school again. because, yeah, no, this was back then because it had been dormant for a while. And so... Yeah, it was it was sudden, of course, and um, I there was we felt some earthquakes, and that's another reason why I didn't uh, I didn't catch my bus. I, no, I mean it was just a dangerous situation to mm-hmm. even try to go to school in those conditions. Yeah, I also you know again about the sustainability to even have that eye in your youth about like the science of this, right? The science of even the small mechanical pencil to how. This culture in Hawaii, this is their sense of science, this conservationist. Um, it seems that you've always been attached to um, the love and value of science in your life. Um, <clears throat> so I want to also ask, like, um, about your line of work, right? Like, right. Right. Line of work, it's a long story. <laughs> We're here for that, it. This is the part where, I mean, you want to talk about adaptability, not, I mean, in addition to the time, the number of times I relocated. I mean, I've moved probably about 25 times in my lifetime. Ugh, I just think about, like, carrying a box of books and how, like, I love them, but I have to carry them. I know. I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> so going back to my childhood, um, as far as actually in the when I was in Hawaii, in the Big Island, when I was in... Ah, elementary school all the way up to about my sophomore year in high school. Of course, there's the typical Filipino mom who wants you to become a nurse, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a nurse. I was kind of rebellious as a kid. Um, why stop at being a nurse? That's, I'm, I have a, I have a somewhat of an overachieving mentality. So I wanted to be a doctor, mm-hmm. and I just didn't know what specifically, what field I was going to go in, or if I was just going to do primary, I was going to be a primary care physician. Right. Um, my mom bought me a medical encyclopedia. I was just, <sighs> I was one of those kids who had a rich, um, just upbringing in terms of what I spent my time doing after, besides doing homework. I mm-hmm. was one of those kids where... I pretended I was in the band. Aww. Um, Nothing wrong with that. In the yo. 80s, um, jumping on the coffee table and singing to you know, the, I mean, I love the re- records. Yes. You know, because that, and I, I actually, as a kid, going back, I mean, I'm sorry if I keep shifting back, no, but it's kind of, um, it, I have to go back to Japan because um, my first exposure to music was and the base, the Navy base exchange. And every time we went there, 
I would be in the music section checking out if Donna Summer had any records. She's like the queen of disco. Yes, but she's the the queen. I mean, that led to EDM. So, I mean, without her music, what a jump. You You heard it first. Donna Summer to EDM. (laughs) (laughs) So, Donna Summer, I was just blown away by her voice. And there was one particular song which happens to be one of my favorite songs from her is called I Feel Love. And when that song came out, unfortunately Target milked that song, but Sam Sam Smith's, ver- Sam Smith's version. But Donna Summer is the original artist of that song. Mm. And if you listen to elements of Donna Summer, there you, he- you hear the future of music, of, of EDM music. I'm so ready to try to... I know, I'm yeah, Because I'm they ready. use... <laughs> She, they used Moog synthesizers, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is so innovative, this sound. Um, even, I believe it was Andy Warhol who said, I have heard the future of music when that song was played. Wow. So then we fast forward to, that's why, I mean, I was always fascinated with music um, and in my spare time, mm. pretending to be an artist. Um, and at the same time, I would play my video games, and then I would read, I had, I just, I always wanted to learn and soak up things like a sponge. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was looking at dictionaries, the encyclopedia, before there was Wikipedia. Man, those are the old days. So, and then, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't make up my mind with the medical field. I shifted from wanting to be a doctor, maybe a dentist, to medical technology, and then the last thing I wanted to be, as far as the medical field, was um, genetic engineering. So wow. I wanted to go in that because of my biology class. I was was good at biology, and then in March 1990, I went to my first concert, and that uh, you never forget your first experience. And I thought. My first experience happened to be expose. And so I thought, I want to become a recording engineer who wow. be able to work with music artists in the studio, That's both making their albums, exactly. And so I had these aspirations to attend the University of Miami, mm-hmm. um, but my dad was overprotective. Mm. And so he didn't want me going out of state, and I ended up, settling and all right let me do a double major i'll do music and i'll do electrical engineering can i ask what was his logic in like in that protectiveness like what what did he what was the uh report he told you like oh you'll get hurt or people at night or what did he say to he like didn't, dissuade you i think he just wanted me nearby i mean he didn't want me to be alone and state that obviously I had no family in. Mm-hmm. Um, he really didn't give me much more than that. So, okay. yeah. I do have a, a side question too. Because um, you mentioned about like uh, uh, like Ohana spirit mm-hmm. and like adaptability. Was there any, um, did you have any inkling that your, your father as well was trying to be adaptable to like your mm. choices as well? Um, 
hard to say because I, I mean I think he was adaptable in the terms in terms of the family's needs. If let's say the whole family, besides well, most of the family, um, wanted something that conflicted with his desires, then he would adapt. But if it, in this case it was just me, so. Mm. Um, not so much so. Okay. Yeah. Makes also, sense. another side question. Mm-hmm. Do you think your queerness has to do with that decision? With his decision? Uh, Mike, no, actually, because, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I had my first girl crush um, when I was five. I, I just, yeah, and during elementary school, I, I mean, I developed other crushes, but never acted on them. In fact, I was... Um, Late, um, I was a late bloomer in coming out. I didn't come out until my late twenties. Um, part of that was because I was from um, my late teens up until that 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 point when I did mm-hmm. come out. I was actually involved with a non-denominational Christian church here in town. It kept me out of trouble. I mean, I it kind of it's kind of it's crazy to think what would have happened if I had not been involved with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also through uh, the ministry that I discovered what my strength was, um, which is the current uh, line of work I'm in, it's business administration. Um, so again, to backtrack, I mean, when I really thought, so here I am, I'm at the age of 18, starting at UNLV, doing my double major. It wasn't too long that I figured out it's not going to work for me because, um, number one, I was struggling with certain classes. Like, I Mm -hmm. was great at math, but when I started taking calculus and Boolean algebra, which Boolean algebra ties more into electrical engineering and computer Mm -hmm. science, I I had to make a decision, a tough decision. I, I can't... And at the same time, I mean, I had a hard life. I mean, I was working two part-time jobs and um, going to school at night. And to do, and so I felt mentally and physically tired to apply myself in such a way that I could absorb different things that were, were tough to learn, especially later in the day. Can I ask, why did you work so much? I mean, I, I mean, I I was asked the same question because okay. I worked also two or three in my undergrad, um, but I had lived at, out of home. Like, usually Filipino parents, like, t- tend to pay for their kids. Like, is the, was that the case for you? Well, what happened was my dad did finance part of it mm-hmm. in the beginning. And then because I decided to move out, my parents' house. Oh, that's, that's mm. the that's go. deal breaker all this time. <laughs> it happens I to yeah. my independence. Yeah. And, um, it's a hard pill to swallow. It is. But worth it. It is. It is. I mean, looking back, I mean, I wouldn't have changed, changed it, even if it took me longer to get to what I finally settled on um, and I'm doing currently. Um, yeah, I did. And, because, and so after realizing that I wasn't cut for these classes, I mm-hmm. decided to shift gears again. Okay. And I thought, okay, why don't I try Romance language, Latin-based languages? Whoa, what a jump. But <laughs> our, <laughs> our friend 
Uh, Daniel loves uh, Lit. He's our... Uh, yes. Res- <laughs> but, but also just like, that's, yeah, it's such a big jump. Um, how did you, like, okay, so... <laughs> How like walk us through how you made like all those like decisions? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's um okay. What ha- what happened was um it was based on the notion that in high school I was um an oral student and I took two different languages. I mean, obviously not in the same year. I started off in French, did well in French in my freshman year in high school, and then um, then I took two years of Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we relocated here, they weren't offering Japanese at uh, the high school I graduated from. And even looking at, and so um, I thought, okay, I did well with French. I've always wanted to take Italian. And Spanish, I mean, it's not difficult to learn, if you, especially if you at least learned one of the Mm-hmm. Latin-based language. I think the hardest would have been with Portuguese. But again, so what happened is working those t- two part-time jobs, my Italian classes were at night. And again, just didn't, couldn't retain the uh, language or apply myself as much as I wanted to. And, and so, and then I, I figured, okay, it's kind of difficult to learn these kind of languages um, in college. And that's when I finally <laughs> made another uh, switch to business administration because it, it, co- it coincided with my time in the ministry. And, I, and I, I did it on a voluntary basis, like I was taking stats yeah. for the church I was part of and taking care of um, the tithes and all that. So... And again, it was my strength, and so that's what I, I had to buckle down. I was like, okay, I do, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the middle, I'm halfway through my time in college, and I don't want to be wasting my time anymore, because I kept stopping and starting just to take breaks from yeah. being burnt right. out. And that's whatnot. some real stuff. So right. that's why, yeah, it took me longer. And so when I finally graduated from college at a different university, um, <laughs> I was, yeah, Probably it was probably a year before I came out, um, and so that's how the earlier part of my life was with all these trying to adapt in, in so many ways um, with moving, changing my majors. Um, Can I just say, from somebody who is outside looking in, and I can mm-hmm. be completely wrong, I think that. Your story resonates a lot with people because um, in a sense that you can be a very talented person but decide to carry so much, but also like sometimes it's so heavy. Like what Mm -hmm. you're doing Mm -hmm. is so heavy and like you obviously in changing, and I I think this um, is a good lesson for our listeners, in changing so much didn't mean that you were indecisive. It was also you coping with being very talented and intelligent, right? Like, and so it's like, where do I fit in if I'm this talented and right. intelligent? Right. Like, um, and so I think the business and you're a successful business administrator. And I met I met you last year in that transition, um, in moving out of that, but still having those skill set. And I I mean like it makes sense uh, that you are you manage and multitask and whatnot. But um, why move away from the business administration ish part of that? You reach a point in your life when you've been doing something 
even if you, you're strong in it, mm-hmm. if you don't feel like there is something substantial in the end, um, you kind of begin to wonder. I mean, and that's where I found myself a couple of years ago. Um, I was struggling with um, certain situations in my current job, and I didn't. F- I felt powerless to change it. It's real. And as a director, I mean, I would have thought that I would have had some sort of power to change it, and I couldn't. And so I was sort of soul-searching at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, when all is said and done, what is the legacy you want to leave behind? And that's kind of where it started. I mean, it was, yeah, yeah, it kind of was mixed with not feeling like I was empowered. But at the same time, about a couple years ago, I, going back to music, um, this duo, who happens to be one of my favorite music artists, Tegan and Sarah, <laughs> were, get, were guest speakers at this conference in San Francisco, and it was a huge conference uh, called Lesbians Who Attack. And when I first saw this on social media, I thought, oh my gosh, how cool would this be to be a part of this right now? But I just, so I watched from a distance, mm-hmm. just th- just kind of thinking, how can I get involved in, with what they're doing? Because as I started to do more research into the founders, the founder of this organization. Um, her example resonated with me because she, like me, was an introvert by nature. Mm. And she was struggling with where she was at in her life for two reasons. I mean, at the time, I um, she was working for a nonprofit organization and she was a data analyst and a coder and um and then I, her brother died um i want mean, to say about 10 years ago and that shook her up in such a way that she wanted to change her life that mm-hmm. she wanted to live a life of legacy and and so she decided to get out of her shell mm-hmm. and network with queer individuals in Silicon Valley. And it just started off with a networking event. I mean, at a bar, I mean, where you're just having cocktails and conversations with other women in the tech industry. And before you knew it, it just took off. I mean, she said, you know what, I'm gonna, it's gonna sound crazy, but I'm gonna have this event at the Castro Theater. And she thought nobody was gonna show up. The first person who shows up is an executive female executive from Google. And so today, I mean, as a result of this woman's vision, there are 55 chapters domestically, internationally, and and at the same time, it is now the largest LGBTQ professional event in the world and in California. 
So um, one of the last questions I really want to ask is, um, what do you envision with this new legacy, this new route that you've made in your life? My in my vision um, is for as far as Vegas is concerned. Um, I, I just want to be able to empower uh, more women, allies, uh, queer individuals in tech. Um, I would love to see Vegas have events very similar to what they do at this, uh, these annual summits. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to kind of put Vegas in the map. I mean, it just I want to see the city evolve, evolve um, beyond the tourism industry, what mm -hmm. it's known for, its decadence. Um, I, that's I, I want to be able to see. The, the chapter split up in such a way that, okay, they have, they can meet by regions. They have one in Henderson, they'll have one in Vegas, and, I, and at the same time, I want to build the team in the chapter, uh, I want to build a dynamic group of women, of diverse women, um, who are just strong leaders, um, and at the same time, hopefully influence the younger generation to do the same. Right. Any last questions from you, Daniel? Well, I want to thank you for being here. Um, I think that what you do is it can be very lonely because you're one of the few Filipino women in tech and then you want to collectively bring together. So any of our listeners in Las Vegas who are hesitating on tech or I want you to see Markar as a resource, you know, as somebody or even a mentor if Markar is open to that, you yeah. know. So um, I want to thank you so much, and we're going to sign off. So this is Jean. This is Daniel. And we are a podcast magically disappointing and informing. And uh, encouraging. And encouraging. Our parents. Our parents. <laughs> Have a good night.